0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 75 called Jasmine. Okay guys, so let me tell you about my guest today. Jasmine Katatakarn is a fertility warrior who struggled to have a child for six years. So today she's gonna tell us about her multiple IUIs, her various rounds of IVF, and what happened when she was told that she had less than a 1% chance of having a baby they told her to stop trying. However, she did not stop trying. So without further ado, this is Jasmine's infertility story. Thank you, Jasmine, for being here. I always like to start at the beginning and just ask growing up, did you always want to be a
1: mom? That's an interesting question. I mean, it's more, it's more that I didn't think I had a choice, to be honest with you. It, it was the same way where you're kind of taught that you're supposed to go to college. It was just assumed to me that I would be a mom. But I think going through my struggles actually really made me realize how much I did want to be a mom instead of just going through the steps of what society feels like you should be doing. Mm-hmm. So yes, to answer your question, yes and no, I guess. To answer your question is I, I did think I, I would be a mom, but not for the right reasons, probably. I just thought that was what I should be doing. And my struggles actually made me stop and really think about, think about it. And I think because of that, I appreciate motherhood so much more.
0: Yeah. So tell me about when you met your partner and were you guys kind of on the same page about wanting to have kids?
1: Yeah. So we met in college. So we were pretty young. We did not talk about having kids right away. I was 19, he was only 18. So that being said, uh, kids were definitely not on our minds when we met, but he, he was definitely the type of guy that, you know, when you meet someone and you can just tell them meant to do, they're meant to be someone or they're meant to be in a certain field or do a certain thing. Well, for me, I remember when I met him, one of my first thoughts was, um, he'd be an amazing dad. He's oh, so, that's so sweet. I'm yeah, because like... he's just like, really nurturing and really paternal and way more paternal than I am. And I, I remember thinking in the back of my mind, like, oh, he would be an amazing dad at, you know, eight, that, that was him at 18. So right. we did not talk about kids when we first met, but eventually we did. And it was definitely part of our, our life plan to have okay. kids.
0: So what happened when you guys started to try?
1: So we got married around. I I still think of how naive I was when you know I thought I had it all perfectly planned out. We got married around 28, and I was like, okay, I'm going to start trying at 30. So we had another two years to just have fun, travel, and my plan was: 30, we're going to start trying. By age 35, we'll have three kids. It'll be great, and then you know move on to the next step of life. So when we started trying at 30. I was, to be honest, a little worried, but because I had been on the pill for a very long time and, Mm -hmm. but I wasn't too concerned just because I felt like I was still pretty young. I still remember the first month kind of being surprised. I'm like, wow, I'm not pregnant. I thought I'd get pregnant, you know, just like in the movies. Right. And right. It's just like, oh, it must be so easy. And the first month went by then, you know, a couple more months went by Eventually it was like six months. I started getting worried and a little under a year. I went to see my doctor about it and she, she said, okay, well, it's been about a year. So you should go to a specialist and get, you know, all those tests that we are now so familiar with. Mm -hmm. And we went to a specialist after a year of trying and everything came out clear. There was no signs, no obvious signs, but the doctor on both sides. And the doctor said, well, there's probably something going on, but we just don't know. Mm-hmm. So we'll call, we'll diagnose it with unexplained infertility. Ugh, right. The
0: worst term ever.
1: Exactly. So can
0: you tell me about the year that you guys had been trying though? You just, you weren't getting pregnant. You hadn't been pregnant at all.
1: No. And okay. I just never got pregnant. Yeah. Um, and, and you'll hear from my story. I never for me it was getting pregnant was the hard part yeah Um, okay so after after we had all the tests the doctor recommended IUIs kind of as a start and we went ahead and did that and we did about three three or four IUIs Mm -hmm. at this one clinic with no results Mm -hmm. and you know at the time I remember thinking okay I looked at the you know the probability of success and I was still I was still hopeful because I, I feel like this whole journey, right? It's so many ups and downs. You're just going through this roller coaster of emotions, like getting, filling yourself with so much hope every cycle and then it not working and then going down again. But then you have to pump yourself back up. Totally. Yeah. And I just was on that roller coaster and it's a bit of a blur now, but another year went by, another maybe even a year and a half went by. And finally, the doctor recommended IVF because he said, I still, and all this time, it was still unexplained infertility. Nothing else, you know, came out. And it was just really frustrating to have that diagnosis because, you know, when you're presented with a challenge or problem, you want to figure out how to solve it. Right. But when it's unexplained, it's kind of I mean, I was trying everything to not while doing all these cycles, you know, I unfortunately went to Google and (laughs) was Googling like all these things, like, what can I do? You know, all those things that we do.
0: Yeah. So Um, what, tell me about some of the things that you tried and also as a follow-up, did you ever think about going to a different doctor, switching clinics, getting a second opinion, anything like that?
1: Yes. So I'll get into that, but yes to all of that, I'll just say, and for the, the things that I've done, I, I I went to early on, I would just dabble in things. That's the one thing I would say that I probably, I don't want to call it a mistake, but I was just like, oh, maybe I'll see an acupuncturist. And then I went to like two sessions of an acupuncturist, but I didn't commit to it. And I did that twice, actually, within like a three-year cycle. I, I tried these crazy, um, like Chinese, I don't want to call them crazy, but they, they're Chinese herbs that mm-hmm. my mom had given me. And mm-hmm. I still don't want to know what they were because some of them were not, or they were like, I don't even want to say what they were. But you know, <laughs> the, the woman in questionable. Head, yeah, exactly. The I woman, took some of those too. I went down to
0: Chinatown, I remember, and got yeah. this bag of stuff. And it was just like, kind of tasted like mud and it was, mm-hmm. but I would like choke it down every day because I'm like, this might be the one factor that I'm missing. You know, you, there's so many,
1: exactly. so many
0: things that play into this that you'll get to the, you get to the point where you'll try anything.
1: Yeah. And I, I was definitely there and I did all this stuff. I remember I went to this Korean acupuncturist who was really interesting. I'd be curious to go back to him, but he, um, he had a very, it was, it was also interesting to see different methods, but he had a method where he like, would just kind of feel with his hands like hover around you and then I still remember this he, he said you're cold inside and I was like wow he just told yeah. me I was cold inside. Rude. <laughs> I was like a little hurtful but then he like concocted me this Korean like tea thing that I was supposed to that I drank for a month that I have no idea what's in it till this day, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I mean, there's things like that, that you know, and also when you do, when you're actively doing things like that, along with your cycles, I'd say it's, it's a way to feel like you're in control. Like you're, you're trying, you're, you're actively trying to, you know, get pregnant. Absolutely.
0: So how old were you at this time, Jasmine?
1: At this time, I was probably around 33. Okay. And so, okay, so I'll get to um, when he did, when the, my doctor did start saying I should try IVF, then that is when I sought, uh, I don't want to say a second opinion at this time, I sought out another clinic because I was not aware of this when I first started because I just so blindly followed, you know, referrals that. You know the labs matter so much especially when it comes to ibf mm-hmm. and it wasn't made aware my father actually suggested it because he he's a doctor and, and he was like well if you're gonna do ibf i suggest you go to a bigger a bigger institution a bigger place with better labs and i was like okay so at that point we did change clinics and we went to another one still in new york city and i, I still remember meeting with that doctor he was very optimistic he said i don't see anything wrong with your you know your labs Let's try a couple more IUIs for a couple reasons. One, because he wanted to see if an IUI would take before dedicating all that time mm-hmm. and stress into the IVF. But then also, my insurance needed a couple more cycles at this new clinic of IUI before they approved the IVF. Gotcha. So yeah, so at this clinic, we did another two, two or three cycles of IUI. So I've got a lot of IUIs under my belt. Yeah. So how many had you done at this point? At this point, it's probably around seven, oh seven God. or eight. Yeah. Yeah. And none of them took. And during this whole time, so I'm, I'm nearly 34 and I I have never gotten pregnant. Just I felt like I was not even close. So right. finally, Can we talk about
0: your emotional state before we move on with what was going on in your journey? Like, how did you feel?
1: Oh, I felt great. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no sweat. Yeah. You know, I mean... Honestly, I I was keeping it all inside, like everything inside. Um, I was internalizing everything. I didn't tell anybody during this whole time. Not really, and not even my. I mean, my husband knew. <laughs> so, I'm kidding, but other than that, like <laughs> he was in on it. Yeah, he was in and on it. And and my the only two people that knew was my husband and my father, just because of the medical questions I would have, but. None of my other immediate family knew at all. Not even my sister, who I'm really close with. And I kept it inside because I was ashamed of it. I felt like, you know, what is wrong with me? Why can't my body do something that comes so easily to so many women? And it was a very lonely and isolating experience.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Honestly, me and my husband are very quiet by nature mm-hmm. but we didn't even talk about it with really another. yeah which you know I don't recommend I mean we were going through it obviously but we were kind of we would just silently be going through it together and we were there to support each other but not by words and what I also did during this time was I tried to nurture myself in other ways kind of we traveled so much because that was a, an outlet kind of mm-hmm. to keep me sane.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It was something to look forward to, something that I enjoyed. So during this time, we traveled, like all my friends saw honestly of us is we traveled everywhere, like multiple times a year. The questions that I would get from my friends were like, how can you travel so much? And oh my God, your life is so wonderful, which was so ironic because, you know, what we were suffering in the back, but... Mm-hmm. It, background but all they saw was us traveling the world and my god you guys must have the best life and all the all these things and I felt like I felt like I was living a lie kind of I mean obviously I was enjoying the travel but right you know I was I had this facade of this perfect life but no one realized that you know we we have been trying and not working and of course during this time you get those comments from people as well right um you know, where's the baby? Oh, you guys are too busy traveling and having fun. That's why you're not having kids. Yes. We got that a lot. And it was, it was hard. Um, Yeah.
0: It's like Instagram versus reality for real. Like you looked from the outside, like you're living this perfect life, but you're shattered inside. So did you ever, were you ever tempted to, you know, come out and talk about it with friends or like, seek therapy or anything like that? Or was your coping mechanism just kind of internalizing?
1: At that time, it was completely internalized. It wasn't until later in my journey that I did find a great acupuncturist that I stayed with. And she, she that was the first time where I act- actively spoke about out to someone else. And I kind of joked that she was, you know, 70% therapist and <laughs> acupuncturist for me. And that was the first time that I found, I realized how much I was keeping in, to be honest with you. I didn't realize the damage I was doing to myself Mm -hmm. by internalizing it. And I didn't think about coming out with my story until until well after a bit in my journey. The reason why I did finally come out was exactly what you said about that, that Instagram life versus your real life and i don't know if i'm jumping too far ahead but what happened is you know i did have a child i i do have a child and and when she was born and i posted you know a picture of her on social media on instagram or something one of my friends made a comment to me it's like oh my god your life is so perfect i wish i had your life Mm. because from their view point of view right all they saw was us traveling everywhere, travel the world for years. And then all of a sudden, oh, look, and now they have a baby. And right. Happy? They're getting it all. She's exactly. doing it all. Yeah, and, totally. like, and that person's like, oh, your life is so perfect. And, that, and then all of a sudden I realized when, when I read that comment, I was like, I one, my life is not perfect. Two, I was feeding into this, this facade that yes, you know, you're
0: perpetuating
1: the lie.
0: exactly <laughs> I think we all do that to a certain degree. No judgment. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And especially when I remember as many of your listeners probably, like when you're trying and you're on social media and you see those baby announcements, you see the pregnant pictures or, you know, the newborn babies, it hurts, right? It hurts a little bit. And, and you don't want it to hurt, but I realized that not only am I, not living alive, but showing only the perfect side of it. But I'm also, I could be hurting someone and not knowing it by showing them, you know, this picture of my baby without, without giving them, them the background of how much of a journey this was. And it wasn't easy. It was far from perfect. And that's when I, I decided I needed to come out with my story. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Um, so before we get into yeah. how you came out with your story, let's talk about the IVF for you.
1: Yes. Okay. So, so when it was finally time for IVF, I was so excited. I still remember this. I'm like, oh, okay. Everyone gets pregnant from IVF. This is going to be it. My journey is going to be over. Um, I'm like, this is, this is going to do it. Right. So we, we had our first cycle of IVF and everything went according to plan. I mean, the biggest thing was I didn't produce many eggs, which it turns out like that's just my thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's just my. That's what my body does. That's just my thing. You know, that's my so, thing. That's my jam. Yeah. It's like some people like produce thirty. I'm like ten is like my max. So at the time I produced ten. I think that that was actually like my highest I've ever done actually for the first one, and they retrieved probably eight, and we did an ICSI, and about four four of them fertilized four or five, and the we got. The call around day two for our day five transfer appointment. And they said, okay, here's your appointment um, for day five. You're coming for transfer. And I still remember that morning of day five, I was, I was out the door and I got a phone call and I answered it. And there was a nurse from the clinic and she said, don't bother coming in. She's like, don't come in. It's been canceled. Mm. And I, I didn't even know that was possible. It was mm-hmm. my first IVF. And I was like, what do you mean? It's been canceled. This is my day. Like, I'm gonna, you know, get the transfer, and, and, um, and she said, no, none of them made it. She said, oh. none of them made it to blastocyst. None of them made it to day five. And I was, I was just devastated because I had gone through everything, right? I've gone, I went through all the meds, all the appointments, all the needles, even, you know, the retrieval surgery, and I felt like I just didn't even get a chance to play. Mm-hmm. Because I never got the transfer. And by this, it's nearly five years of trying at this point. Whoa. Yeah. And this, I was so excited because this was like the closest I felt like I had gotten. And this is five years of never getting pregnant. And I, and I, I mean, it felt like I was, I was not getting any closer at all. And the next day, we went into the doctor, doctor's office and she sat us down and she said, Well, I have a new diagnosis for you. I was like, okay. And she said, um, I think it's poor egg quality. I think Mm -hmm. it's your egg quality. And of course, my next question was, okay. I I was like kind of excited. I'm like, okay, we finally know what the issue is. And I was like, okay, how, how do I increase my egg quality? How do I make my egg quality better? And her response was, well, you can't you can't do anything about egg quality. And of course, that's, that's not the answer you want to hear. Right. And I remember I pushed her a little bit and I was like, are you sure? Like, how is that possible? There's nothing I could do. And then she like kind of said, well, some people say acupuncture could work, you know, to help improve egg quality. And I was like, sure. I'm like, okay, I'm doing it. And, you know, she told me to like, go hop up and down. I would have done it, you know, if that would have. Mm, totally. Happened. That's so um, funny. Cause that's, that
0: was my diagnosis too, was poor egg quality, but my doctor at the time said, you know, we can, we just have to find the good ones. Like it's, they're not all poor quality. There's some in there that still can work. We just have to find them.
1: Oh, I want your doctor. Well, I'll, get, <laughs> I'll, I'll get to it. My doctor. Okay. Go on. So I went to this wonderful acupuncturist, Angela Lee in New York city. And she, we went over, you know, all my, all my charts and my lunch. She's like, Okay. And she started to recommend uh, kind of stopping and doing a three month detox of my body and like doing acupuncture and just preparing my body and, you know, cleaning it out and ready to get ready for the next IVF cycle. And I was like, okay, I'm all in. And... I did three months. I took three months off. I did everything. And when it came to the second IVF, I was like, okay, now I've really worked hard for this. And the second IVF went exactly, almost exactly the same as the first, mm-hmm. um, the beginning parts of it, except there was a, a, a little bit of fewer eggs um, mm-hmm. that were available. But around the same thing, it was almost like too, too much of the same. So around date, we went in for the, uh, we got the... Uh, We we probably achieved about eight eggs this time, around four, uh, fertilized. And the same thing around day two, day three, we got the call for an appointment for day five for the transfer. And that morning of the day five, I was actually in the acupuncturist office because I was doing an acupuncture appointment before to get my body ready for the transfer. And I still remember, one, I was very nervous, right? Because of what happened from the first one mm-hmm. and I went in and when the acupuncturist came in after my appointment was over I just saw the look on her face and I was like oh and she said they called and it was canceled oh man so the same exact thing happened mm-hmm. and this is where I was just you know two two IVFs I took you know, time off in between to really cleanse and detox my body, and the same exact thing happened, mm-hmm. and I, I was devastated, and of course, I yeah. still remember walking across the park back home, and I was crying, and I was with my husband, and and remember how I told you when I first met him, I felt like he was meant to be a dad, right? Mm-hmm. He's just that type of personality, and. I couldn't, on top of everything, the guilt I was feeling the that I would be the barrier to him becoming a father was, it was just, I still remember, I'm tearing up thinking about, it was so much because at this point, you're hearing those sirens? Yes. <laughs> New York, everybody. That's real life, New York. Yes. Um, so I, 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 it was, it was my eggs, right? It was egg quality and I just felt. Felt so much guilt that it was me being the barrier to him becoming a father. Yeah, and actually, it was during that walk that I told him, "I was like, if this if this is not going to work out, I need you to leave. Like, I need you to be a dad because I can't be that person standing in your way." I still, I still get really emotional. Of course,
0: it's so emotional. So you were willing to give up your relationship so that he could be a dad. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and it's still like like just saying it now I I still feel so strong about it. I mean, seeing yeah, it's 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 just on top of everything that we go through to feel like you're responsible too. I mean, I know it's natural. It's really hard. It hits you on all sides. Yeah. So of, co- of course he said no. He said no right away. We'll figure it out. We'll do this together. And um the next day I went that we went back into the doctor's office. And at this point, you know, just like the emotional roller coaster, is that, that day that we had the cancel transfer, I, I hit rock bottom. I thought, I thought that was my rock bottom actually. And I pumped myself back up to go back into the doctor's office, ready for a new plan. And we went into the doctor's office that morning and she sat us down and she started almost instantly talking about egg donors and adoption and i remember thinking i stopped her and i said wait are we are we not going to can i not try another cycle with my with my own eggs and she said no she was like no i don't recommend that and i was like is there is and and then she kept going on and she's like i only recommend an egg donor or you can think about adoption and at this point i was 35 so it was 5 years of trying like seven or eight IUIs, my second IVF, and I just kept pushing her. And I was like, you, like I really, I just was in disbelief that it was going so quickly. Yeah, to a donor, and and I just said to her, I was like, "There's really no chance." And then she said, "She gives me less than a one percent chance of having my own biological mm-hmm. children." Okay, so how did that feel? Devastated. I mean, I just the room just went. I went numb. And everything else she said after that was like kind of locked out. Like she kept mm-hmm. on talking after that, but all in my head, I, all I kept hearing was less than 1%. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? And especially with fertility, we, we, we have so many stats come to it, like, you know, probabilities that are in our minds, like IVFs 20 some percent or whatever. So like we're already filled with all those numbers, but to hear less than 1% was... Right absolutely devastating and and i just sat there so here i am at 35 never been pregnant and my you know my life plan by 35 i was supposed to have three kids by now yep but i'm sitting in the doctor's office and she just told me i have less than a 1% chance of having my own my own biological kids and uh, it just felt wrong it felt off i was like I was like, this can't be right. This can't be right. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's the life. I think the hardest part about infertility is like you have, you have this vision for your life. And all of a sudden it's just, I don't want to say shattered, but it's, it's changed. It's, you can't, the vision you have is not there. It's not happening. You can't, you feel like you have no control over it. Yeah. And it's really hard to kind of come to terms with that. Definitely. So we left. So after that appointment, and so with the way we left, left it with that doctor, she she basically said, think about it. If you want to do egg donors, then we'll talk is essentially what she said. And I was like, okay. And that day we, we left. I still remember we like kissed each other. We gave each other a big hug. We kissed each other goodbye. And we both went to work because that's what you do because no one knows we're going through this. We have to both show up at work, you know, put on that that happy face. Like mm-hmm. nothing just happened. Like like a doctor didn't just tell me I had less than 1% of having a child. Right. Yeah. So that day I went into work and by profession, I'm an artist. I'm a lighting artist. I'm computer animated. Yes. Filmed and I just... You know, to distract myself, I started going and, you know, focusing on my work. And a problem came up at work, as it usually does. And I started to troubleshoot it. I started to problem solve it the way that I do at work. And all of a sudden it occurred to me as I was doing this, I was like, the way I, I approach a problem or a challenge at work was very different than what I had been doing in my personal, in my fertility journey hmm. specifically. Interesting. And yeah, and I told, that's when I had like this aha moment where I was like, let's step back here. Because honestly, with my fertility journey, I was just kind of following people blindly. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really, I wasn't getting second opinions. I just went to one doctor, that doctor said something, I'd follow it, you know, and I never really questioned it. And I, I didn't do enough of my own, I wasn't my own advocate, really.
0: That's so um, good, yep. I love a good aha moment.
1: And, but at work, the way I would put something at work is when I have a challenge or problem, I would kind of step back, analyze what was going on, like get multiple opinions, different perspectives on it, and then figure out multiple solutions for it, multiple paths to solve that problem. I would do So it's essentially like if in the fertility you do, you get second opinions, you get multiple perspectives, Eastern and Western, you know, you wouldn't just take one, one person's opinion and trust it completely. Mm-hmm. So that's when I sat there, I was like, okay, I have nothing to lose at this point. I was just told I have less than 1%. And it's like, let's do a reframe of my fertility right now. And the next day, I went to see my acupuncturist. And we had a talk about it. And I and that's like a great example of like getting a different perspective on it, right? Especially someone outside of yourself because you're so in it. It's really hard to step back and mm-hmm. see the bigger picture. And for me, like she was a great asset too because she also came from, she had a lot of knowledge in the fertility and fertility in general, but she also came from like an Eastern medicine perspective, which I thought was nice to have kind of that. Right. Good process. balance. Exactly. So she was saying that, you know, she, she doesn't think I should try egg donor just yet. And she had a suggestion for another clinic for me to try and a specific doctor And I remember she. I remember her exact words. She's like, you know, not every clinic. Maybe that clinic wasn't good for you. And there, there's another one I'd like you to try. And at that point, I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's try it. And that's also another thing that I do at work is like just testing and iterating, right? Just. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, let's try it. And I went to another, yet another clinic because you you asked me if I had gone to multiple clinics. So this is my third. This is my third clinic, and I met with this doctor. And I remember. He did say that he did not agree with the less than 1% probability, uh-huh. which, you know, in itself, like, there you go. There's a second opinion that was, uh, was very easy for me to, like, seek, you know, instead of, because I could have, so, I I mean, I thought about it. I could have easily have just said, like, okay, this doctor told me to stop trying. Yeah. I've been trying for five years. I'm done. It's I'm over. Right? Yep. So just hearing that other doctor give me an alternative. He's just like, no, I think and he said, he's like, I think it is your egg quality, but I, I want to try something else. And his, his biggest thing was he, he's going to do a three-day transfer instead of a five-day transfer, because, you know, it, it seems like maybe there is an issue about you're making it to day five, but let's try a fresh three-day transfer. I was like, okay, let's try it. And so this is my third IVF. And I was incredibly nervous, of course, and anxious and worried that the same exact thing was going to happen. And we went through it, pretty much all the beginning parts are the same, except every time we would have a retrieval, it would be like a little bit less, which was a little concerning. Mm -hmm. Um, And we made it to, uh, we actually got the three-day transfer, which was amazing Mm -hmm. that I got a transfer. I had two transferred and... I got pregnant. Yeah. So and what's crazy. It's, it was only about three months after that moment. I was sitting in the doctor's office where she told me I had less than one. And I still remember that call when, when the doctor told me I was pregnant and first I didn't believe him. I was like, this is, you know, nearly six years at this point to hear someone actually say that you're pregnant is like, right. Cause you had never,
0: ever been pregnant. This is your first time ever.
1: Yeah, it was my first time ever being wow pregnant. after nearly six years, and I I just couldn't believe it that I it was happening, and so I. So you said I mean, you transferred I, two embryos. Yes, I transferred okay. two.
0: So did yeah. you? know, Was it twins, or did one only one take, or what?
1: Yeah, only one took. So okay. now I have a daughter, a healthy daughter who is now four years old from that uh, my third IVF. Mm-hmm. And it was after and I was forever grateful like I still remember I love being pregnant like my pregnancy and I still remember when I was going through like the normal pregnancy appointments and you know they'd say okay in two weeks you come to this you do this and I just turned to my husband I was like this is so easy. Is this what like everyone else gets to go through? Like they they get pregnant naturally and then, and then they just go through like these very simple appointments. And the worst one is like a sugar test or something. (laughs) Right. The glucose test when you have to drink that muck. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, this is like heaven. So yeah. So we had a healthy baby girl and it wasn't until that comment after she was born that i decided, Mm -hmm. you know, I need to tell my story. Yeah. And I still can't believe I did this. Actually. It's like one of those things when you do and you take up so much like courage to do it. And I, and people ask me now, it's like, how, how did you, like, how could you not, how could you do that? But like, how did you build the courage to do that? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do it right now, if I just like, was in that same place, Mm -hmm. but I went on Facebook live And this is like before I was doing any social media stuff. So it was very bizarre to me to be on Facebook Live. And I told my story. And the crazy thing is it was the first time I ever said it out loud.
0: Wow. How did that feel? That must have felt so liberating.
1: It did. I didn't realize how therapeutic it would be, to be honest with you. And I didn't realize how much I was keeping inside Mm -hmm. until that moment and how much trauma was in me. I think when, especially when we go through fertility struggles, we just assume, oh, if I have a baby, all this, all this anxiety, all this trauma, everything's going to go away and everything's going to be like super happy and joyous, you know, but it's, it's so far from the truth. We're actually like holding in a lot of trauma most of the times that, yeah. We think will go away once we have the the child or yeah. something resolves, but it actually doesn't. And yeah.
0: Well, there's the saying like having a baby doesn't get rid of infertility. It's always with you, and it I think it profoundly changes you as a human being when you go through it. I'll never be the same, and yeah. I'm glad I'm glad for that. I feel like I'm a better person having gone through it.
1: I agree. Yeah, I I agree. I've said that too. That you know, this struggle, I am very grateful for it. If honestly, if kids had come easily to me and I had gotten, you know, if I had had my three kids by 35, I, I would be a lesser, I don't wanna say a lesser person, but I would just be bl- blindly following this path that I thought I should go on. And I would never would have stopped to really realize what's important. I, pro- I honestly would not have been a, as good of a mother. I probably would have just kind of taken them for granted. To be honest with you, so I agree that this journey has changed me to the core, and mm-hmm. it's changed almost everyone that's gone through it in a better way. Mm-hmm. I, I feel stronger. I have this great need to help people. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I don't want to say not that I did before, but honestly, no, because I, I, I want to help people, but not in the not in the same way that I feel right now. I'm so passionate about it. I always come back to fertility especially because yes. it got this like special place in my heart. What happened next was around this time, my daughter was like a year and a half and I was around 37 by then. And I always wanted more than one child, but I kind of didn't dare think about having trying for a second. Cause I felt so lucky that I was able to have one. I was like, I, I did not want to push it. You know, I, I was so grateful. And after I came out with my fertility story, I was talking to my husband and I was like, you know what, should we try? Should, you know, I think also coming out with my, my story released so much in me that I was like open to trying again because I released a lot of that trauma that I was holding in. Mm -hmm. And we're like, yeah, if we're going to try, it's got to be now. Right. Cause. Clock's ticking. Exactly. (laughs) Age and fertility are not friends. Nope. And. So we decided to try again, and also during this time, since you know I had come out, I, I remember I, I mentioned I had a talk with my husband. I was like, "What do you think? Should I should I document this IVF, this whole cycle, so people know exactly what goes into it?" And I still remember his face was like, "But but what happens if it if it doesn't work? Then you have to be." like live you have to be so open and devastated because and, he's seen you know how you know firsthand how hard it is on me and for him when it doesn't work and I was like yeah but at this I think it's I think that's what people need to see right you need to see everything that goes into it and there's no guarantee it's going to work and many times it doesn't work and I think that's that's gonna, you know really help people so for the third eye, we went to the same clinic, the same doctor. Oh no, I'm sorry, we did not go to the same doctor, but we went to the same clinic. Mm-hmm. And um, we did the same exact protocol. Mm-hmm. Because it worked the first time. So I remember the doctor was like, We're not gonna change it if it worked the first time. Mm-hmm. And I documented everything. In what way? Like where? Uh, I doc I went I did it on Facebook Live. Okay. Yeah, and I Facebook Live and I wrote uh, like posts, blog posts about it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it turned out that I got pregnant with that, with that cycle. But I will say, you know, my eggs, remember I said how my eggs keep on going down. At this yeah. time, I, I only retrieved like six wow. maybe, or five. Actually, no, it was five. It was really low. And I remember I still keep on like how you, you said it only takes one in a way for your qual- like the quality of your eggs. I yeah. kept in my mind, I was like, it only takes one. It only takes one. But we, yeah, we retrieved only five. Which is really low, and three of them um, fertilized, and we did end up transferring two, but this uh, the same way one took, which is now, and he is now my son. So I have a a two-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. Oh my
0: gosh, I love it. Hello again. Thank you guys so much for listening to my conversation with Jasmine. And Jasmine, thank you so much for being on my show and sharing all of that. You guys should check out her artwork, it's super cool. I'm going to post some of it too. I also wanted to remind you guys to check out Fertility Rally. If you're looking for a community, some great events, we have a weekly support group every Wednesday night. We've got so many unique and amazing members that are going through so many different journeys. Everybody is available to help you out, share with you, tell you their stories, answer your questions. Blair and I created this space to let you guys know that you are not alone. So definitely check out fertilityrally.com and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks.